Hey, this is Stephen, and I want to welcome you or welcome you back to the Grove Church Podcast. For more information or to find more resources like this one, be sure to visit us at grove.org. Thanks for listening, and I hope the following message is encouraging and meaningful to your life. Well, good morning and welcome to The Grove. We are so glad that you are joining us for Church Online. My name is Stephen and I'm one of the pastors here. And I want to take a moment to just welcome you if you're joining us for the first time or maybe the first time in a while. We're so glad to have you be a part of our service. Now, we are in week seven of a sermon series on the book of Exodus. And today I want to talk about something important. And I want to talk about this lie that we have all bought into. You see, there's a lie that we are believing about the adversity and the challenges, kind of the obstacles and difficulties that we experience in our life. And this lie is actually making all of this harder. It's causing us to lose hope and to lose faith. And if we don't kind of name this lie and expose it for what it is, I think it will continue to do a lot of harm to us. Now, this lie is kind of based on kind of two ideas, kind of two ways of kind of magical, wishful thinking. This way that we believe that the world works, the way that we believe that our life is supposed to work, and the, the way that we believe that God works in it amidst, amongst the world in our life. Now, the first belief and the first kind of magical and wishful thinking is this. We believe that if we're a good person and we follow all the rules, or at least do our best to try to follow as many of them as possible, and we show up to church regularly, then, and it's kind of this condition, then everything will be good for us. If we do good, then we should get good. It's kind of this agreement that we believe that we've made with God that kind of characterizes the Christian life. That as long as we're kind of doing our part and kind of living a good, honest, kind of moral life, then we shouldn't experience pain suffering, tragedy, loss, any of kind of the adversity and obstacles that we find ourselves experiencing. So that's the, that's the first kind of magical thinking that we come across and we buy into. The second is anytime we experience any adversity, anytime we experience any conflict, anytime we experience and come up against any of the obstacles in life, we believe that it's because there is a temporary break in the first belief system, in the first kind of rule of how life's supposed to work. We still believe that nothing bad's supposed to happen, but when something bad happens, we believe that it's just a momentary break, and at any moment, God's going to swoop in and come in, realize that God had kind of fallen asleep on the job and kind of taken his eye off the ball. God will kind of wave the magic wand, and then everything will be set right, and then we'll be back on track, and everything will be going as we believe we were promised it would go. That's kind of the version of faith in Christianity that many of us, even if we're not aware of it, we unconsciously buy into and and subscribe to. That life should be good. As long as we're good, life should be good. And anytime life's not good, it means God's probably not doing God's job the way that we believe God should do it. Now, where does this come from? How do we come to this conclusion? Why have we bought into this myth and this lie, which it is? Well, I think it comes from a lot of places, but I think profoundly it comes from kind of a misunderstanding and a misreading of Scripture. You see, as I look across the world, I don't see any evidence that this kind of magical thinking is actually true. 
But so often I see people pointing to Scripture that they hold up and say, well, this is kind of what we believe. This is kind of the promise that we're holding on to. A famous example of this would be kind of that passage in Jeremiah uh, chapter 29, verse 11. Maybe you have this on some type of decorative thing in your home. Maybe many of you know this. You could say it along with me. But it says, I know the plans that I have for you. Plans to prosper you, not to harm you. Plans to build you up and to give you hope. And we hold this and we kind of latch on to this promise. And we say, see, the Christian life is all about God helping us having plans for us, and these plans are about everything going right, everything going well. All of our life is up and to the right forever and ever and ever. That's what it means to be a Christian, to trust that God's going to take care of everything. But here's what we do. We take this one verse out of its actual context. We separate it away from everything else that's in this chapter in Jeremiah, and in the larger book of Jeremiah, and we hold on to it and you say, see, look, this is the promise, this is the myth and the lie that we're going to buy into. Now, I'm not saying that this particular part of Scripture is a lie, but we have to understand the context in which it comes from. And the larger context of this verse in Jeremiah is the words of a prophet shared by God, given to the people of Israel when they find themselves in exile taken away from their home, so much has been destroyed, so much pain and violence and suffering they've just come through and experienced. And the larger message that this particular verse punctuates talks about how they just need to settle in to all the adversity and difficulty that they're currently experiencing. Basically, God's saying, hey, it's going to be a while. You might as well get comfortable with this uncomfortable place. You might as well settle down. You might as well build homes. You might as well start to find and build and raise a family because you're going to be here a whole lot longer than you think you are. This way out of this adversity and difficulty isn't going to come the way you think it will. But you need to know that eventually it will all resolve. For I know the plans that I have for you. So on, so on. This is the context in which this verse comes. But yet we pull it out of the larger context and we hold it up and we say, see, the Christian life is all about everything being okay. But then everything isn't okay. And stuff happens. And we experience difficulty. And we experience loss and sadness and sorrow and pain and violence and oppression. And all of these things that happen both, you know, systemically and individually, all of the obstacles that we come up against. And we start to get really confused and feel like maybe God's not doing his job and holding up his end of the agreement because life is a whole lot harder than we thought it was going to be. Life is far more difficult than we expected it to be, particularly based on kind of this lie and myth. And so what I think we need to do is we need to name it as a lie. Because when I look at scripture, I actually see the exact opposite promise. I don't see promises that everything is going to be okay, that there will never be any adversity, there will never be any setback, there will never be any obstacles that we'll have to find our way through. But what I see is promise that life will actually be hard. There are promises within Scripture. The story that we're going to look at today is an illustration of this truth. Life is challenging. Life is filled with difficulty. 
That we can be assured of. But that's not the only thing that I see when I look at Scripture. The other thing that I see is that in the midst of this difficulty, in the midst of this adversity, God always leads his people through it. There will be challenges. There will be hardships. Life will be uncomfortable. Life will not go the way that we always want it to. And God leads us through it. God is with us in the midst of our discomfort, in the midst of our suffering, in the midst of our loss and loneliness and pain and sorrow. Those things will happen. We will experience those. We have been reminded of this truth in a brutal way recently. Just even the last eight, nine weeks as we've kind of found ourselves in this kind of global pandemic, but also in the last week with just all of the violence, both immediately in our own community and in the nation at large. This isn't the way that we dreamed it up. This isn't how it was supposed to go. There's a lot of difficulty and challenges that we face. But we don't have to face them alone. God is with us and God will lead us through it. That's exactly the point of the story that we're going to look at today in the book of Exodus. You see, if you're just now joining us, we are in week seven of kind of walking through the story of Exodus, the story of how God leads his people out of slavery and out of Egypt into a new place, into a promised land and into a a new relationship with God. We're looking at this story because it's not just a story that we find in one particular part of the Bible. But I think that God inviting people into a journey from one place to a new place is actually the story of Scripture, and it's also our story. It's the story that we find ourselves in in this very moment. And so in this particular part of the story, we've kind of reached one of the climaxes and the crescendos of the story. You see, for the last 13 chapters, the people of Israel have been trying to escape slavery. And God has finally appointed a man named Moses and said, Moses, I'm going to need you to lead the people of Israel out of slavery, out of Egypt. And so Moses goes before Pharaoh and asks Pharaoh to let the people go. And Pharaoh says no. And then last week we talked about all of the plagues as God's response to Pharaoh's unwillingness to let the people go. And so today we're finally in the place where the people of Israel get to leave Egypt. After all of the plagues have happened, Pharaoh finally gives in and relents and says, fine, just go, just leave. We don't want you here anymore. The consequences of y'all staying in slavery are too significant. Just go. And as you go, take whatever you want with you. And so the people of Israel gather up lots of goods and golds and silver, and they're beginning to make their way out of Egypt. But as they begin to make their way out of Egypt, they kind of have a choice as to which direction they go. There's the short way, and then there's the long way. They're trying to go to this new place that God is taking them. And so they could go east and go directly to this place, or they could go south. It would be like if we were trying to get to Tyler, Texas from Dallas. We could go east, that's the short way, or we could go south through San Antonio, into Houston, into Beaumont, up to Tyler. Now, clearly, we would all choose the short way. It's the most efficient. It's the most direct. It's the most obvious path to get out of Egypt. But that's not what happens in this story. Let me show you what does happen. We're in chapter 13 of Exodus, and this 
is what happens in where God leads them. Chapter 13, verse 17. When Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them by way of the land of the Philistines. This would have been the route east, even though that was the shorter route. And here's why. For God said, if the people have to fight and face war, they will change their minds and they will return to Egypt. God knows that if Moses leads the people of Israel east through the land of the Philistines, the Philistines will attack them and experiencing all of the fighting and the war and the suffering, it's going to cause them to change their minds and to go back to Egypt. Well, the whole point of this entire endeavor is to leave the place that we were in, for the Israelites to get out of Egypt. And so God's not going to lead them in a path out of Egypt that's just going to result in lead them back to Egypt. And so he takes them a different direction. He doesn't take them the shorter route. He takes them the long way. It says, but God led the people around by the way of the wilderness toward the Red Sea. My guess is there are a lot of us today who feel like God's leading us the long way. God has not taken us in the most direct and efficient route through whatever difficulty or challenge that we find ourselves in. My guess is you've started to grow a little impatient because you're tired of this journey that you're on. You're ready to be in a new place, but yet here you are finding yourself in the same place that you've been in. And I think what's particularly challenging about where we are as a people is it's kind of like those Russian nesting dolls. Of course, we have this obvious global pandemic that we're all dealing with, this type of challenge and adversity. But within that, that hasn't stopped any of the other problems that we experience in life. So for some of us, we're having relationship difficulties, and that's contained within this kind of larger pandemic. Or for some of us, we're really affected by kind of the violence and the injustice that we see in our nation right now. And so that's contained within this larger kind of doll, you know, this you know, global pandemic. And so on and on and on it goes, and there's layers and layers and layers of difficulty. All of these challenges, all of these places that we find ourselves in, that it sure feels like God's taken his sweet time on. And we're like, why God? How about we hurry this thing up? I'm tired of waiting for this finally to go through. I'm tired of waiting for a job to finally appear or for my house to finally sell or for a relationship to finally work or for my industry to finally start to climb back. God, I've been waiting a long time Why couldn't we have taken the shorter route? And what we can't see sometimes, just like the people of Israel couldn't see, is it was actually the mercy of God that took them the longer way. Even though it leads to a lot of grumbling and complaining and wondering and doubting and struggling and suffering, it's because this way is actually the way out. God is leading us through the difficulties and the obstacles and the adversity that we face, even when it doesn't look like it, even when it feels like the long and winding, meandering path out. It's because God's merciful and God loves us and God knows that if we went east, if we took the shorter route, it would just cause us to end back where we started, to the place that God is trying to take us out of. And so this is what happens with the people of Israel. God leads them through the longer route, the southern route. 
And as they do, they begin to grumble and to begin to wonder about why God has taken them this way. And they complain and they criticize. And eventually they get to a place where they're encamping and God tells Moses to kind of have them set up camp at the end of this path as they've come to the Red Sea. And so they're kind of at a dead end on this journey. And it's in this place that we see that Pharaoh begins to change his mind about his decision to let the people of Israel go. And in fact, he gets frustrated and irritated that he let them go. And so he decides to send his army after the people of Israel. And so they think they've made it out, but they haven't made it all the way out yet because now Pharaoh is on their trail. And you can imagine the army kind of chasing down this large group of people who have left Egypt and are trying to move to a new land. And Pharaoh's army is on horseback and chariot. And you can imagine, you know, all of the men are angry and swords drawn and spears out. And what we see is eventually we get to the place where Pharaoh's army is encroaching upon the encampment of the Israel people there by the water's edge of the Red Sea. And as the Israelites begin to hear the hoofbeats and maybe hear the wheels of the chariots, kind of the slow rumble and thunder of this army approaching with rage and fury, they begin to start to question and to wonder and to doubt and ask all of the questions about, well, God, why did you lead us to this place? And they direct these questions at Moses. Let me show you. This is in chapter 14, verse 10. It says, When Pharaoh drew near, the people of Israel lifted up their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians were marching after them. And they feared greatly. They had begun to believe that they were finally making their way out. And now it felt like it was all turning worse. And the people of Israel cried out to the Lord, and they said to Moses, is it because there are no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness? What have you done in bringing us out of Egypt? Is not this what we said to you in Egypt? Leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians? This was their original criticism to Moses when he tries to inspire them that there could be a way for them to leave Egypt. And then they end with this. For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. My guess is maybe you've thought something similar. You've prayed a prayer. You've wondered aloud or even internally. And you say, God, really? You brought me all this way to just let me die in the wilderness? I've come this far only for my plans to fail, only for this not to work, only for things to fall apart. God, why would you bring me all the way out here? Why would you lead us to this place just for it to all fail? For us to not find our way out, for us to have to end up suffering even more than we've already suffered. Why, God, why would you do this? It would have been better if we never even tried to leave this place in the first place. It would have been better if we just stayed in Egypt, whatever our Egypt is. We begin to lose faith. We begin to doubt. and We begin to kind of give up. And then this is what God says to the people of Israel through Moses. I think this is what God is saying to us today, in this moment and in this place. Amidst all of the obstacles and the difficulties that we experience. 
when we survey what's happening, when we lift our heads up and we see the army approaching, or we see the injustice in the world, or the suffering in our own communities, or the way that life has just not turned out like we hoped it would, or the way that the medical report gets worse and worse, the way that we see our economy, our industry moving in a direction that we were hoping and praying that it wouldn't go, as we begin to survey all of the ways that it feels like things have actually gotten harder and more difficult, I think this is the message both to Israel and to us. This is what Moses says to the people. He says, fear not. That fear not is this idea of like, take hold of your fear. Get it together. Pull yourself together. Be courageous. Fear not. Stand firm and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see again. The Lord will fight for you, and you have only to be silent. Fear not. Stand firm and see the salvation of the Lord. The Lord will fight for you, and you have only to be silent. In the midst of all of our adversity, in the midst of all of the challenges and the obstacles that we face, it is an interesting command that we receive, that the people of Israel receive, to be still and to be silent. I struggle with both of those commands. Kind of in this place that we find ourselves in with current events, it is hard to be still and to be silent. It's hard to be still because I feel like I need to contribute to my salvation. I need to contribute to my getting myself out of this place. I need to be more productive, more efficient, more industrious. There's something for us to be doing, surely. And so we run around and we add to our schedules and we try to return back to original schedules, but that doesn't feel very good. And so we are just frantic and we, because we have all of this fear and all of this anxiety and all of this uncertainty. And so we leverage it into busyness and to doing. God's asking us to be still, to refrain from doing, to let go of our urge to add to our plates. God's asking us to be silent. That is hard right now. We're always checking Drudge Report or CNN or whatever news source that we get our information from. We need the newest update. We need the latest piece of information because maybe that'll give us a little bit of satisfaction to all of the anxiety and to the worry that we have and hold in our hearts. We're constantly listening to voices and inputs, suggestions and recommendations about the way that we should live our lives, the choices that we should make, the way that we should return back to our normal lives. And we have all of this noise coming in and coming in. And maybe once we get tired of all of that noise, we shift to a different type of noise to numb out and to block out all of that noise. And so we listen to music or we listen to podcasts or books or we turn on Netflix and we binge weeks and months worth of shows just to fill our heads because we are terrified of the silence. And we're terrified of the stillness. But what would it look like if we eliminated all of those inputs? If we let go of all of our unnecessary doing, 
and we were still, and we were silent. I think something profound would happen. I think, just like we see in the scripture, if we can make space to learn the discipline of stillness, to learn the discipline of silence, I think we'll begin to see the way that God is working towards our salvation. God is working towards our deliverance. We will begin to see the way that God is fighting for us and God is making a way where we thought there was no way. This is precisely what happens in this story. As the Egyptian army is enclosing upon the Israelites, Moses commands them to stand firm, to be still, and to be silent, and to wait for God to create a way through all of the challenge, all of the fear, all of the adversity and obstacles that they're facing. And this is what happens next. The Lord said to Moses, why do you cry to me? Tell the people of Israel to go forward. Lift up your staff and stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it, that the people of Israel may go through the sea on dry ground. Tell the people of Israel to go forward. This sea that you thought had blocked you in, that you thought was a dead end, an impasse, the place where you were going to meet your demise, the thing that you thought that you could never get through or never overcome or never find your way across or through, that this was going to be the end of all of the difficulty and the adversity and the obstacles that you're facing. No, it's not. And when we're still and when we're silent, we're able to see the way that God makes through the middle of the thing that we're facing against. God begins to part the waters, to create dry ground for the Israelites to walk through. Now, we all know this famous part of this story. As the waters begin to part, the Israelites move across on dry ground. They move through the Red Sea, through this barrier and obstacle that they ran up against. They, couldn't, they didn't think that they were going to be able to escape the Egyptian army. And so as they cross the Red Sea, as the Egyptians follow in after them, the waves come crashing down on the Egyptian army. And true to God's word, the problem and the adversity that they were facing, they would never see again. The Egyptian army is wiped out. The people of Israel are safe because God's made a way through. God's created a way out even when they couldn't anticipate or see how God was going to do it. And this is how the story concludes. Thus, the Lord saved Israel that day from the hand of the Egyptians. Israel saw the great power that the Lord used against the Egyptians, and so the people feared the Lord, and they believed in the Lord and in his servant Moses. Once they were still, and once they were silent, they were finally able to discern the way that God was leading them through all that they faced. They found dry ground in the midst of a sea. And as they began to make their way through it, it was upon getting to the other side, navigating the set of circumstances that they didn't think they'd ever be able to navigate, 
making their way through all of the setbacks and difficulties and failures and loss that they didn't think they'd ever recover from, making it through all of the grief that we experienced, that we were weighed down by, that we don't think will ever come to an end. It's always on the other side that we're able to look back and to see the way that God had been working the entire time. It's a way that we can grow in our faith and begin to believe and trust in God more because God always takes us through whatever it is that we're facing. God is faithful to us, even when we don't understand, even when we can't see. God is making a way, if only we're able to notice. And so there's a lot that we're facing. There's a lot that we're up against. And my guess is, for many of us, it feels like we've taken the long way for a long time. And we're starting to get to a place where it feels like we've been brought out in the middle of the wilderness to die. We're starting to wonder where God is in all of this. We're starting to, to doubt if God's really there because adversity and difficulty didn't seem to be part of the program. It didn't seem to be part of the agreement. But it's precisely in this place that God shows up most. If we can notice, if we can be still, and if we can be silent, we'll begin to be able to see the way that God is working and leading us through all that we face. So I hope that you take courage. I hope that you find hope that God is with you and that God is leading you each and every day. Let me pray for our time together this morning. Gracious God, thank you for the way that you love us, for the way that you lead us through the, the difficulties and adversity that we face. God, this life is hard. It is filled with far more pain and problems than we wish. But God, that we trust that in the midst of them, even when we're on the long way through them, that you are leading us and that you will create a way through. God, help us to be still, to stop from doing. Help us to be silent, to listen to the way that you are working, the way that your spirit is speaking to us. And help us to be able to recognize how you are at work in our life. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, thanks again for listening. If you live in the Dallas area, we would love for you to visit us. For directions, service times, and more info, visit us at grove.org.